Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashin. Thank you for tuning in today. A little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Be sure to visit our website, b'nai like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. The easiest way to get the latest episode is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play on your smartphone. I'm joined today by David Michaels, our Director of United Nations and Intercommunal Affairs here at B'nai B'rith International. David and I recently returned from Geneva, Switzerland, where we advocated for Israel to the United Nations Human Rights Council, along with other representatives from our B'nai B'rith delegation. In his speech on the floor of the Human Rights Council, David emphasized the hypocrisy of the UNHRC's disproportionate emphasis on Israel. Before that, we were in Paris, and we organized meetings with officials at UNESCO, another organization whose bias against Israel is very problematic in our view. Today, David and I will be discussing the delegation's experiences at both UNESCO and the Human Rights Council, and the biggest issues and challenges we face with both organizations. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dan. Good to be with you. Well, we've uh, just wrapped up our leadership mission. Uh, Let's talk to our listeners a bit more about our delegation and those with whom we met, and perhaps more importantly, why it is important to go to these UN agencies in person to advocate for Israel. Sure. Well, uh, as our listeners uh, uh, know, uh, one of the, the centerpieces of Nebrith's advocacy for Israel around the world has been our engagement uh, since the very start, uh, seven decades ago, uh, at the United Nations, uh, and particularly at a key body like uh, the Human Rights Council, as well as UNESCO. Uh, we go uh, with an international leadership delegation every March. March is the main uh, of the three annual sessions of the Human Rights Council. Uh, and over the last couple of years, we've made a point of stopping in Paris as well uh, to signal our concern uh, over negative trends uh, at UNESCO, which is uh, headquartered in Paris. Uh, so in this case, uh, in the case of this particular visit, uh, we brought uh, between 20 and 30 uh, leaders uh, of B'nai B'rith and friends of B'nai B'rith from uh, over half a dozen uh, countries, uh, mainly in, in North America and, and Europe, uh, to meet with as many uh, ambassadors and other senior diplomats that we possibly uh, could uh, during a very busy time, both in Geneva and in Paris. Uh, in only two days in Paris, uh, our delegation managed to meet with roughly two dozen uh, ambassadors and other diplomats. And in Geneva, in another three days, we met with another three dozen or so uh, ambassadors there, in addition to uh, a private meeting uh, with the new director general of UNESCO, uh, and uh, uh, finally, uh, B'nai B'rith has had a custom over the years of holding a diplomatic reception uh, at the Palais des Nations, the European uh, headquarters of the UN uh, in Geneva, uh, where we were addressed by the, the chef de cabinet of the uh, um, uh, director general of the UN in Geneva, uh, by the Israeli ambassador, uh, and that event uh, had the attendance of several dozen additional ambassadors and other diplomats. Well, before we proceed, it's um, important perhaps at this point to just set the uh, the table a little bit in terms of Benebrit's connection to the UN. We were just one of a few organizations, Jewish organizations, that were invited to the founding of the UN in San Francisco in 1945. And then a couple of years later, 1947, we received our first non-governmental organization, NGO Credentials 
uh, at the UN. And then not too long after that, in 1960, uh, we established the first full-time office on UN affairs in the Jewish community. So we really uh, go way back to the beginning of the United Nations. It was a different world in 1945. The objectives and the mission uh, of the UN uh, was in the ashes of World War II and the Holocaust to uh, create a, a better world uh, for uh, its, uh, its uh, billions of inhabitants. And um, it seems to have, uh, have really come off, off the track. Um, we today uh, are represented at UNESCO, not only with this delegation, uh, but also during the course of the year by a representative and uh, at UNESCO and also at the Human Rights Council, where B'nai has a local committee uh, that tracks and monitors uh, the activities of the Human Rights Council. So we are, uh, we're deeply involved in the system, uh, but over the past number of years, uh, it seems that uh, most of our work has really been uh, devoted to the anti-Israel bias uh, inside of the organization. Well, David, as you said, our first stop was at UNESCO in Paris, which has a, a new director general. Uh, UNESCO has been characterized over many, many years by bias against Israel, and, and it's, it's always been subject to scrutiny, not only because of that bias, but even before that, uh, with other issues that came up, at least uh, that I can recall over the past 30 years. But now the bias really is centered on Israel. And it seems to me that, you know, there's a numbers issue here that enters into this bias as well, uh, where you have the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, which is uh, an umbrella of, of more than 50 Islamic countries, the Non-Aligned, which is uh, an organization, an umbrella of, of more than 100 countries, uh, and bringing, for example, the Palestinians into UNESCO as a, as a member, uh, or uh, attempting to follow the Palestinian narrative on rewriting the Jewish history in uh, Eretz Israel. Um, how do you assess the, the lineup that Israel faces um, at, at UNESCO? And, and uh, you know, we have a new director general. We had an opportunity to, to speak with her. Uh, how would you think that this will um, unfold now going forward? Well, you know, there's no question that uh, UNESCO, the case of UNESCO, has been particularly uh, disappointing to us. UNESCO is one of those bodies uh, within the UN orbit uh, that uh, should be the most removed in, in relative terms, of course, uh, from politics, let alone uh, contentious politics. We all care about culture. We all care about education. We all care about science, and these should not uh, be uh, enmeshed or bogged down in any kind of uh, uh, political squabbles that, that you might find in the world, and, and not only political squabbles in the Middle East. And that said, as, as you've, you've indicated, uh, the math uh, and the politics as a result uh, of that math uh, facing Israel within the membership of, of bodies like UNESCO is incredibly challenging. Uh, as, I've, as I've mentioned, uh, there's a, a near-automatic majority uh, that essentially uh, marches in lockstep on siding with the Palestinians, but more than siding with the Palestinians, uh, pushing Israel down uh, even as they try to advance in entirely inappropriate and counterproductive ways 
Palestinian political goals. Uh, so as in 2011, as, as you've acknowledged, uh, the Palestinians were uh, admitted as a full member state, even in advance of, of having that status and reality uh, to the body. Uh, and ever since, we've seen this escalation and intensification of, uh, of, of a campaign to introduce resolutions that not only uh, uh, chip away at legitimate Israeli positions and claims and entitlements, but really at the core of Jewish history and Jewish identity. Uh, most notoriously by now, uh, this series of resolutions uh, that either call into question with quotation marks or parentheses or omit entirely uh, the Jewish connection to our foremost uh, holy sites, namely the Temple Mount, as well as the Western Wall in Jerusalem, as well as other holy sites, uh, 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 by, by simply featuring Arab and Islamic names uh, for these places that were, of course, uh, originally uh, uh, Jewish in nature and are at the very center of Jewish collective consciousness across time. Uh, as to the, the new director general, uh, we know that ultimately decisions are taken by member states, and that said, we look to any leader within the UN system, including the director general of this agency, of UNESCO, to exert their moral leadership whenever and however possible to ensure that for the, the sake of the body itself, of its credibility, uh, of its lasting relevance, uh, that the members uh, stay true to the founding purposes and mandate of the organization. And what we've seen in the case of UNESCO is a dramatic straying away from that mandate. Well, our main message in our meetings in Paris and in Geneva, and we're going to talk about Geneva in just a moment, was this question of pol the politicization of this UN agency and other UN agencies that, um, in effect, it contaminates, it drags down um, the original mission of uh, these organizations uh, to, um, uh, to a level of, of simply Israel bashing uh, and how important it is for the sake of the organization, of course, without saying, uh, for Israel as, as well, more so. Um, that, that politicization needs to end. Now, let's move on to Geneva, another agency, the Human Rights Council, which has also become very politicized. It, has wrapped up its latest session. Um, tell us about the results. Um, and also, as we mentioned earlier, you uh, delivered an intervention at the council last week. Uh, tell us about your message uh, at uh, that session. Uh, I might add here that the Human Rights Council really is one of the very few multilateral organizations in the world where NGOs like B'nai B'rith uh, can actually take to the floor and uh, deliver uh, an, an intervention. So um, tell us about Geneva, what happened there, and um, what, uh, what's the future for that agency in terms of our agenda? Sure. Well, uh, unfortunately, uh, the uh, results uh, uh, of, uh, at the, the conclusion of the session, of the, the latest session of the Human Rights Council were, were fairly uh, uh, predictable. Uh, we've seen more resolutions focused on condemning Israel than on any other country in the world, including Iran, including Syria, including North Korea. Um, and each of these resolutions passed. 
there were five resolutions. There were a number of reports uh, from the Office of the, the Secretary General, the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. All of these were mandated, and their focus was mandated uh, in advance. Uh, the resolutions on Israel uh, varied from uh, focus on uh, uh, what it termed as ensuring accountability uh, by calling on member states to reevaluate uh, their sale of military equipment to Israel. Again, Israel alone in the world, and Israel, not only the only democracy in the Middle East and the world's only Jewish state, but most likely the only country on, in the, on the planet uh, today, the, the, the only country on earth uh, to face uh, unending and open uh, calls uh, for its complete destruction. So we have a resolution at the Human Rights Council uh, in the name of protecting uh, Arab or, or specifically Palestinian human rights, denying the most fundamental human right of all for the Israelis, namely the right to protect their very existence. So a resolution on arms, a resolution on Palestinian self-determination, uh, a resolution on human rights in the Palestinian territories, uh, one on settlements that has advanced uh, again in a, a singular and utterly uh, um, uh, unjust way, a blacklist targeting companies engaged uh, in disputed territories, uh, but companies engaged with only one side of one conflict, namely co companies, both Israeli and uh, multinational, uh, that that do various forms of business uh, on the Israeli side. Uh, and, and finally, perhaps most uh, uh, absurdly, a resolution on what's termed in the UN context the occupied Syrian Golan. So here we have uh, uh, a bloodletting, uh, really an incomparable bloodletting for roughly seven years now in, in Syria, uh, uh, a war that's taken more Arab life in only seven years uh, than, than the, the number of Arab lives that have been taken over the course of, over the course of more than 70 years of the Arab-Israeli conflict, and the Human Rights Council sees fit to pass a resolution uh, focusing and criticizing uh, uh, Israel's continued control uh, of the strategically vital uh, Golan Heights, an area that I'd, I'd add uh, is characterized by by peace uh, and by coexistence, by diversity. You've got uh, the Druze uh, communities there. This this was the last of the, the five resolutions at the council. Now, unfortunately, uh, there were only two countries, uh, the U.S. and Australia, uh, that voted against each of these resolutions. Uh, others had uh, more mixed uh, records, but we think it's so important to visit Geneva year after year uh, because uh, it's vital that we do, we in the Jewish community and all friends of, of decency and friends of Israel do our due diligence in making it known among these member states that we're paying close attention, that we value every step in the right direction. There are countries that voted against Israel consistently that will now abstain at the very least on some resolutions. There were countries that only voted with Israel and with the United States in the past on one resolution and may now vote uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, 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 together with fellow democracies like Israel and the United States on, on two or three resolutions. Each 
step in the right direction is vitally important, and it's vitally important that these countries know that we're paying attention that, and that we're going to hold them to account. Well, I think that uh, uh, their record. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, you know, we we think of the cliche, but it happens to be true of speaking truth to power, and this is an opportunity for us to bring our message directly. Uh, to the the ambassadors who represent uh, many countries, you mentioned all of the meetings that we had, uh, to um, to talk about the hypocrisy here, to talk about the politicization, uh, to talk about the bias against Israel. And uh, the, the, look, this is the the truth of the matter is when we talk about the UN becoming irrelevant, um, the the bias against Israel is the strongest uh, piece of evidence of that of that ir- irrelevance. Now, the Human Rights Council, the reconstituted Human Rights Council, we used to be called the Commission, was reformed in 2006. It has, I think, 47 members. And the idea was that it would become less politicized as it, as it reformed and uh, took on a new, a new look. But nothing really has changed in terms of reform. And we talked a little about this with our interlocutors on, on this trip, David. Uh, what do you think the prospects are uh, for serious reform, either at UNESCO or at the Human Rights Council, given the fact that uh, the issue of irrelevance uh, looms over, over much of what happens? Well, you know, you had asked about my, uh, my intervention at the Council uh, a few days ago, uh, and I made this very point, uh, uh, making it known that notwithstanding a, a casual outside observer's uh, uh, likely assumption that Human Rights Council decisions, or UNESCO decisions for that matter, are uh, unbiased, authoritative, accurate. We know that these are ultimately political bodies uh, in which perceived uh, self-interest, if nothing else, uh, very strongly guides uh, voting, and in which those with less than admirable records on preserving culture, on upholding human rights, sit in judgment of a rare and, frankly, noble uh, and beleaguered democracy like Israel uh, that, for anyone who knows Israel well, is utterly synonymous uh, with the values uh, that these bodies were created to, to, to champion. Uh, as to uh, prospects for for reform moving forward. I, I think reform may be uh, a bit uh, ambitious, uh, particularly in light of the, the, the difficult history that we've had uh, at the Human Rights Council since 2006 uh, and the, the replacement of the commission. Uh, I would aim, though, for improvement. Um, if not all-out reform, and certainly not all-out reform overnight, we should be seeing and we have to see steps in the right direction. I think there are some signs of hope. You know, uh, most of the European Union member states, uh, along with other major Western democracies, almost all of them, and shame on the exceptions uh, who've uh, broken from this trend, uh, have chosen to refuse to actively participate uh, in the Item 7 deliberations at the Human Rights Council. Item 7, of course, is the dedicated permanent agenda item focused on Israel alone and condemning Israel alone, when the council has a separate agenda item focused on scrutinizing, at least in theory, all other 192 UN member states uh, in the world. So that, I think, is a step in the right direction. We know that the US 
uh, most notably uh, with the vocal uh, uh, role uh, played by Ambassador uh, Nikki Haley uh, here in New York, uh, has made very clear that everybody that fails uh, to uh, move away from this destructive politicization, this destructive bias, will have to encounter uh, U.S. reevaluation of its role in and support of that body. Uh, we've seen that play out at UNESCO, where both the U.S. and Israel uh, have taken steps to, uh, to disengage. Uh, Ambassador Haley has said that the U.S. will be considering uh, similar uh, steps uh, in Geneva. And frankly, allies uh, like the UK, uh, in its uh, statement uh, last week, had said that if things continue as they do now uh, at the Human Rights Council, that country too uh, will begin uh, to more uniformly vote against uh, these hostile uh, and prejudiced uh, resolutions. So I think US influence is key. Uh, we have a still relatively new Secretary General of the UN who has openly uh, spoken against double standards within the system. Uh, I think uh, between these factors and others, there still is at least modest potential uh, for progress uh, in moving away from the bias uh, over the course of the next few years. Well, there's no question that uh, leadership um either from the United States, uh, from Great Britain, um, or someone like Secretary General Guterres, who, uh, with whom we met uh, not long after he came into his position, and he recognizes, I believe, the politicization issue. We still have this numbers game issue as well uh, with the, the block voting, uh, which uh, is um, a challenge that will have to be overcome, and there, I'm sure, are creative ways of, of addressing that. Uh, but the will has to be there at the top, uh, but it also has to be there with um, with NGOs like B'nai B'rith, uh, which has been associated with the organization for as long as it has, uh, serving uh, as a as a monitor, as you pointed out, uh, and serving as uh, an organization that engages those who uh, are involved in uh, policy making at the UN uh, to move it uh, back on the right track and to move it away uh, from this. Uh, obsession, uh, this bias against Israel, which again has moved the organization closer and closer uh, to uh, to irrelevance. David, thank you for uh, joining us today for having this discussion. Uh, there'll be no shortage of, of other issues uh, regarding the UN, I'm sure, uh, going forward, and we'll have an opportunity to um, discuss them uh, as they come up. Uh, but we certainly appreciate this uh, quick recap of Benabris recent visit with its delegation to Paris and to Geneva. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast. Please visit our website, benebrith.org, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, tell a friend about us. From my guest, David Michaels, I'm Dan Mary Ashen. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai B'rith International Podcast.